If you turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 1, I'm going to do this series a little differently. We're not just going to read the scripture and then uh, topically talk about it. We're actually going to go piece by piece, a little more expository this season. And so uh, let's go ahead, beginning with uh, reading Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. One day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is another way to say Galilee, and the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people, continued to teach the people the word of God from the boat. Now, this was not the first time that Jesus had met Simon Peter. They were acquaintances. Jesus is drawing a crowd on a beach, and as you know, as you draw a crowd standing, you know, it begins to get thicker, and so Jesus said, you know, I got a good solution to this problem. I'm going to get in Peter's boat, push out a little bit, and begin teaching the Word of God, and I can imagine that Jesus is teaching about Jehovah Jireh. God is my provider, and as he's teaching about Jehovah, and again, I'm I'm just surmising that. That's not in Scripture, so this is my best guess. He's teaching about God's provision, and he realized he's in the very boat where Peter was working all night and they hadn't caught a thing. It seemingly looked like God had provided nothing. And so Jesus comes to the point of Peter's failure. He comes and he's on the very boat where Peter had failed to catch any fish. And if if he fails to catch a fish, not only is his family not eating, but the families he's supporting is not eating. He can't pay his taxes. We all know life on earth very well, don't we? If you don't work, you don't eat. All right? And so Peter is struggling with this. He'd been out fishing all night, and now Jesus is using the very failure of a boat that failed to bring any fish to preach the word of God from. Uh, About 20 years ago, I attended one of the most neat outreaches I'd ever attended. It was a semi that was parked in Skid Row in Los Angeles. I don't know how they got it in there, to be honest with you, but they they got it in there somehow. And we were all standing around. This was kind of like one of our four-square mission trips when I was in Tacoma. We drove down to Los Angeles. And all of a sudden, we're standing around the semi And we hear this loud boom, and they meant for it to be loud. They pushed the side of the semi down, and in the semi was this worship stage. Drums and guitars, and it looked like this, only in a semi. And I remember going, wow, I did not expect to see. I thought it was filled with food or something or clothes or whatever. But it was this worship stage, and they began to worship from it. And I met the leader of the WOW Jam. I said, man, how did, how did you do this? And he said, you know, it's an interesting story. There was a guy who bought this truck because he wanted to be an owner-operator. He wanted to, uh, to be his own truck driver. And he bought this, and no one would hire him. It just wasn't the season. Uh, recession was starting to hit. It just, everything collided in 2008. Everybody remember 2008, right? Everything collided. Work was tough. And he went out, spent two $250,000 on a brand new, nice, flashy semi. And now, you know, it was going to get taken back by the bank. They approached him and they said, you know, 
we, we need a semi-truck for our outreach. Could we use yours? The very truck that had failed to bring in a single dollar, he now offered up so that praise and worship could be done on the streets of Skid Row in Los Angeles. We saw nearly 2,000 people come to church in the middle of the afternoon. That's, that's one thing about Skid Row. There's a lot of people doing nothing there. So we got them all there, and they were all worshiping and praising, and the worship leader was singing from the soundstage of a failed semi-truck. And I, I never found out the rest of the story, but I just remember thinking, man, what faith that guy had I think I'd be a little disappointed. I'd be kicking the truck. I'd, I'd probably light it on fire, try to get the insurance money, right? You know what I mean? There's a lot of things we could have done with that truck. And he's like, yeah, go ahead and take it. I bought it. Didn't work out. You might as well use it. So my first point is this. Small back acts of obedience often lead to bigger acts of obedience. Peter just gave a real small, G Jesus just said, Peter, I want to use your boat so I can preach from it. Okay, boat didn't do any good for me. Maybe it'll do good for you. And he shoves out and he begins preaching. And Peter and Jesus probably realizes, you know, I'm preaching from the point of Peter's failure. Let's have a demonstration of the true heart of God this morning. And so he goes on. My second point is this. God's greatest miracles often require our cooperation. God's greatest miracles often require our cooperation in verse 4 says when he had finished speaking he said to Simon put out into the deep water I know the video didn't show they showed it right on shore there that's that's actually not correct they would have been deeper out put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch and Simon answered master we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything do you think Jesus didn't know that do you ever start saying things to God and you're like, why am I saying this to God? He already knows it, right? Peter's doing the same thing that we do. Master, we've been out fishing all night. We haven't caught anything. It's what he says next that is the most amazing thing I think Peter ever says besides that Jesus is the Son of God. He says this, but because you say so, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, it's a well-known fact in the Sea of Galilee that you caught fish at night in the shallows. They don't have rods. They don't have hooks. They don't have bait. They don't have lures. They don't have spinners. They have nets. And they figured something out. At night in the shallows, fish come to feed or do whatever they do, so they let down their net, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and as they see the fish start going, they, whoom, they pull up that net, and they get fish. It's crude, but effective, obviously, or they wouldn't be doing it. But it's a well-known fact that you catch fish at night in the shallow water, not at daylight in the deep water. It's a well-known fact that Jesus is a carpenter, not a fisherman. And it's a well-known fact that Peter has a temper. This whole scene doesn't make any sense nothing about jesus's request makes any sense but remember there is nothing that jesus does that's purely by chance right jesus never gives foolish commands jesus never tells us to do something and it has absolutely no purpose in it 
Jesus never tells us to do something, and there's absolutely no reason for the doing. And so what Jesus is doing here is he is testing Peter's faith because the miracles of God require our cooperation. And I love the way Peter puts it, because you say so. Noah built an ark in the face of an unbelieving world. Only on, because you say so. Middle-aged Abraham treks across the desert. And what does he have to go on? Because you say so. Moses defies Pharaoh and leads a couple of million people out of Egypt in front of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army behind him. Why did he do it? Because you say so. King David faces the most strong, powerful warrior of his day with nothing more than a sling and a stone. Why does he do it? Because you say so. God's miracles often require our cooperation. Peter responded, I will let down the nets. See, we still have our part to do. The fish aren't going to jump into the boat by themselves. We still have to do what we have to do, and God does what God does. We still have to go to work. We still have to stick to the diet. We still have to attend the meetings. We still have to keep up with our counselors. We still have to share the gospel. We still have to do the homework. We still have to write the term papers. There's still work for us to do. And I believe that for so many people, so many answers to prayer are just waiting for one thing, for you to let down the nets. So many of us are in the boat saying, okay, God, I'm in the boat, and I'm waiting for the fish to jump in. When God's saying, no, 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 I want you to let the nets down. I'll put the fish in the nets, but you got to let the nets down. Oh, Lord, my arms are kind of tired. Okay, I'll wait. I'll wait 10, 20 years. But you're going to eventually need to have to let the nets down. Do your part, and God will do his. Number three, Sometimes God allows failure in order for us to renew our trust in him. Let's look at verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. Note this. The fish were there all along. The problem wasn't the fish. The problem wasn't the nets. And the problem wasn't the boats. The problem was Peter just couldn't find the fish. But when Jesus is in the boat, everything changes. Listen to that. When Jesus is in the boat, everything changes. Jesus had allowed Peter to fail so that he could learn what he could do with Jesus' help. With Jesus' help, he has a sinking boat full of fish. Without Jesus' help, he has an empty boat with sore muscles from throwing those nets all night. Failure in life, and I've seen this, failure in life can produce one of two things it can produce bitterness you get mad at god god i've done this all my life and i've just never wanted anything i've never been successful at anything and you can get bitter or it can begin to build a greater trust trust 
God, I've been casting my nets and casting my nets and casting my nets. I'm going to let out my nets, but this time I'm going to let it down, trusting in you. Rather than grumbling and complaining to you. See how many fish you catch once you surrender that attitude to God. And then number four, to see God is to see ourselves for who we really are. Look at verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. Get out of here. I'm a sinful man. And he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who would be future followers of Jesus, Simon's partners. Now, interesting. If Jesus just filled your boat full of fish, why would you ask him to leave? If it were me, I'd say, Jesus, you're hired. You are CEO of this corporation, right? I mean, why, why would Peter have this reaction? Well, I have some thoughts on that. First of all, for some of us, failure can almost be easier to handle than success. You see, when we lose, we can always point to an excuse. We can always try to blame it on something or someone. It wasn't the right time. Uh, the boss hated us. The job stunk. She didn't really love me anyway. Or the market wasn't right. Or my personal favorite, the refs were against us. We were cheated. My head wasn't in the game. On and on, the excuses go. Losing is easy because it allows us to blame everybody and everybody else. And I have a feeling that Peter lost a lot in life. I have a feeling that there were many days he came in and he didn't catch anything. But not this day. This day, Peter won. And Peter won big. And Peter knew it wasn't Peter that did it. It was God that did it. And the more Peter saw of God in the man standing before him called Jesus, the more Peter began to see in himself. Peter is overwhelmed by the enormous catch of fish. Let's put this in perspective. A good catch for Peter probably would have been about 50 to 75 fish per night. Or per every time he went out at night. A great one would have been about 100 fish. Do you know how many it would take to sink a first century Sea of Galilee's fishing boat? About 5,000 fish. So your best day is 100. And all of a sudden, you're spooning in 5,000 fish. Peter knows he's good. But he ain't that good. In fact, this would work out to be about three and a half years worth of wages that number will become important in a moment but instead of elating him he knew this was way beyond a good catch this was different because this was God and once Peter realized who Jesus really was he saw himself in a new light if there was something I could tell you about the conversion process and I went through it I wasn't a Christian, and then I was as a young man. 
That's it right there. I saw who Jesus really was. And it's almost like in the very next moment, I saw who I really was. And how much I needed what Jesus had to offer. And how grateful I was that it was free for the taking. Amen. To see God is to see ourselves as we really are. And sometimes the vision is too much to handle. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus seems to ignore. See, Jesus, Jesus knows the truth about Peter already. Just as Jesus knows the truth about you already. But what, Je- what, 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 what matters the most is that now, now Peter knows the truth about himself. With his pride stripped away, he is ready for what God has for him next. Let me finish the story in verse 10. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. And look at this in verse 11. This is key. So they pulled their boats in up on the shore and they left everything and followed him. What do you think that means? Do you think that means that Peter went fishing the next day? No. It means pulled the boats, handed it off to the servants. He's got three and a half years of savings now. Peter leaves the boats, leaves the nets, and he goes and he becomes one of Jesus' attendants while Jesus is ministering on earth for three and a half years until Jesus is arrested. And Peter follows at a distance. He's given his life for this man. He's seen miracles he can't explain. He was a part of one in the miraculous catch of fish. And all of a sudden, Jesus is on trial for his life. They're gonna execute him. And they bring in Peter. Do you know this man? And Peter and Jesus lock eyes. And Peter says, I don't even know the man. The man who dumped 5,000 fish into his boat. Hey, you can forget things. You ain't going to forget that. And he looks Jesus in the eye and says, I don't even know who he is. Peter gets, he has a breakdown. He gets horrifically depressed. And what happens at that three and a half year mark? His family's probably running out of money, right? And so right at the point where the miraculous catch of fish runs out, what does Jesus do as Jesus, or what does Peter do as Jesus dies on the cross? He hightails it back to the Sea of Galilee to find his boat and go fishing. Peter, the changed and renewed man, is now going back to his old self because that was comfortable for him. That was familiar to him. He was depressed. He was hurt. He was bitter and he was angry and God could have every reason to just leave him in that state. But that's not Jesus, is it? Jesus wasn't about to let Peter end like that. We know that Jesus rises from the grave. Peter is in the boat fishing catching nada and what does he hear a voice from the shore cast your net on the other side 
not the shallow side, but the deeper side. And what happens again? boat is full of fish John says it's the Lord Peter says nothing he puts his presentable clothes on and does a forest gump jumps off the boat swims to the shore and comes face to face with Jesus where Jesus forgives him and restores him and says Peter it gets even better than Amen.